Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Rocco, we're on. Let's do it. We're on it. Although we have to start our show with something sad. So, so sad. And long time My Talk listeners are probably more familiar with the name Michael Patrick or Michael Matthew Farrell than other people are. We always always call call him Michael Patrick Patrick or Matthew Michael Michael Farrell. Uh huh. And. But he was the he was the musical director of Alive and Kicking. He uh, choreographed also, shows at Chanhassen Forever. He choreographed our, our the Broadway our Broadway project Down and Dirty, the and musical also, and rock star. Yeah, the myth, the oh, myth. I, I remember the most when, wonderful man, and he has passed away at, at the, the young age of sixty one. I, re, I remember when we first met him. We were just looking at some videos, Rocco from um, Project Down and Dirty, the musical, and that was yeah. seven years ago. And Lori and I, you know, people here, and like you, have some theater background. Clean and Bradley, Donnie, um, Love. Donnie Love. At the time, it was Marley, um, Tam. Mm-hmm. I mean, different group of people, but mm-hmm. there was some talent. And then there yeah. were uh, there was us. That's right. <laughs> and um, he, you know, we did this dance number to open up that musical. And Lori and I are like, no, thank you. We can't do this. We're not dancers. We're not singers. We can't do anything. And the way he just... His positive energy, and he didn't even know us, was just telling us, of course you can. You've got this. You're amazing. You're perfect. And his generosity of spirit and just would brighten up a room that you were ever in. And then he proceeded to just be part of the MyTalk family. Right. And um, people are just devastated with his passing. Um because that makes me so sad. It, he was just pure, pure joy that Rowan Preston did a great um story on him today that was in the Star Tribune and um, talked to a lot of different people. You know, Michael Brindisi out at the Chanhassen because he was a choreographer out there for 10 years. Peter Rothstein from Theater La Tida. And um, he just was a wonderful man. And I feel like we had him in the studio like in February of last year before everything went down yes. for an Alive and Kicking show that was right. coming up. and The seniors choir that goes out into the community and just rocks it. And he's he just was everything. I really can't believe that such an infectious, joyous, full-of-life man is gone from our mm-hmm. lives. It's very, very heartbreaking so many people in the theater community in the acting world and the dance world are just so devastated because actually Lori, i remember when we first met him we went out to do an event or just meet him for this alive and kicking we yes. were going to do something with him so Rocco, we, we were go, fundraising yes and so we went to the church where he was holding the rehearsals and we're like wow and he had such a cute body and just a dancer and he was just so motivated and exciting and just 
approachable and amazing. And yeah. I know Dan Seaman here and his family are really sad because they, he was a part of their family and just He's, everyone's hearts are breaking over this one. It really is sad. It makes me, I, I, I sent Donnie a note because I wasn't sure if he saw the paper or not, you know, with his morning DJ show, if he's yeah, getting, getting if he's his getting, morning paper exactly. in or not, if Dr. Don, uh-huh. and he was said no, but he was so devastated. Mm-hmm. He's like, he made chorus girls out of you two, and I didn't think anyone could do that. Well, 100%. You know? And, and he touched so many people, and it was just that positive attitude that it didn't matter. You've got this. Yes. You've got this. Yeah, he's just incredible. A bright, guy. shiny light. Mm-hmm. So if people want to, you know, the Alive and Kicking staff is, it. Dan was talking to me about this earlier, you know, he's working with these seniors, and then the young guy dies. Yes. You know, and just how that's out of order and out of sync, and mm-hmm. everyone is just devastated. So Alive and Kicking, they're going to go out and do some summer performances, but they're always looking for donations. And on their website at aliveandkickinmn.org, you can also donate um, to help Michael's family out during this difficult time and um, donate in the memory. He passed away of cancer. Too, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I can't, when you sent me a note, oh, um, I, I just was like, there's no way that guy is. Last time we saw him, he was kicking our butt. Come uh, on, ladies, move it. I mean, he just, We're here. he just seemed like the kind of guy who was going to, you know, kick and twirl and dance. So he was like 96 with his with his words of kindness, his generosity, yeah. his moves, his choreography. So I know that um, there's a really lovely, like you said, Lori, um, obituary um, in the Star Tribune today. If you mm-hmm. want to read it to Michael Matthew Farrell that we called Michael Patrick King. We called him Matthew My- Michael Farrell. Right. We called him John. You know, we call him every other silly name but his own. Yeah. And um, we just want to share with everybody so you can um, honor him, too, and maybe make a donation in his name at Alive and Kick. I mean, too. they've been around for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's just, uh, you know, the senior rock ensemble, he gave it that extra zhuzh. And was so encouraging with the people there. And I just remember that first night when he came in for Project Down and Dirty. Oh. We were like in the Lyric building in that like big long floor. And he like showed us what we were going to do. And I mean, I just wanted to put my head down and cry because. What is um, it? One, two. It was. The, yes. It, but he was like, he made us feel that we could do it, even though we were absolutely terrified. Uh it was then we were going to do our number, you know, oh. anything you can do, I can do better. Good Lord. He just made, he, he made, made so many better. lives better. Mm-hmm. So big, big loss and really hearts and going out to everyone. And, and a lot of family. people know his choreography because he worked on so many shows and in yes. theater for so long. And I loved that uh, it, Rowan had the detail in his story that uh, when he left high school, he moved Oh, it has to be with his dad. And while he, he was out there, he danced on American Bandstand. I, I that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and his mom was, was a, a rock cat, and, and the kids a- were tapping by right. two or three years old. And I feel very bad for, I mean, I think about how much we adored him, and I just think of his family and uh, all the people who were closely with the him. alive and kicking yes. uh, people just are probably just reeling mm-hmm. from the loss of their. They're they're just he was elfin. 
the leader. He was amazing. He was a very, he was, you know, because he, he was so lithe and limber and he could twirl and dance and he could make you feel you could twirl and dance and sing. He's really going to be missed. Really and truly, Jules. It's hard not to cry. I know. It, it is. So this is so, but if people, <sighs> you know, again, a great way to honor him would be making a donation in his honor at Alive and Kickin'. Thank you, Jules. So, um. We will miss him. Oh. He's a good, it's a good tough friend one. of the show and just a real cool guy. And going down memory lane. Um, oh, Lord. So there's a video out there of, I, maybe some of you guys saw us in the musical, um, Project Down and Dirty, the musical, which I think was the most intense thing we've ever done. For sure. For sure. Because it was two nights. It was two nights. And it, it was exhausting. I mean, we had to learn things we never could do again. Ever and could do before, but we did it that weekend. Yeah, and just the energy spent on it. But watching the video of you, Lori, <laughs> first of all, of me, um, just having a healthy, bouncy, probably twenty-five extra pounds on me in a lovely silver sequin skirt that just was shiny right in front, and I'm like, "Who's that?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's me." <laughs> and then Lori next to me. Um, doing every you and did. He's it. in the front. He's in the front us. leading us, and Lori's doing everything a half or a full beat off. Oh yeah, you couldn't get. Going you right, couldn't get the I'm choreography. No, Julia, I obviously <laughs> was the choir, the chorus girl who screwed somebody to get in the front row. There's no way because we were both in front. We're like, no, hide us. Hide. We're us. not going to be the good ones here. You oh, know, Lord. we're so bad. We they had to give us a talking song. Yes. Because we can't sing. Oh, that was just such an amazing experience. And he's, I'm sure, had so many great experiences with so many people. But anywho. All right. So. All right. He will be missed. Michael Matthew Farrell. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, dear one. All right. Listen, when we come back, it's our story we can't get enough of. Hi, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Well, last night, The Bachelorette came back. But, uh. Chris Harrison, who went for away for some classes from a race educator, I guess it wasn't enough because it was announced this morning he's not getting the final show. He's uh, he's stepping aside. Yeah, well, basically he's out after 19 years. He signed an NDA and got an eight-figure payout. That's like tens of millions. It's at least ten million. Eight it's figures. Least, yeah, six. Because he was in the, is a million. Yeah, because he was a, a, a he was executive, executive producer, producer of the show, and he mm-hmm. went away for some classes uh, and whatever. Uh, but I mean, don't cry for him, Bachelor Nation, because he was paid eight figures to leave. That's incredible. I mean, uh, how can we get fired and then be rich enough to never have to work again? Is anybody listening? Is anybody listening? Is anybody listening? Um, and and the thing is, is that he did it uh, like he had a great gig. Um, he just had to show up. Count some roses, say the same things that he says all the time. I, I would disagree. It was a, but I mean, it was the thing that I loved about last night's Bachelorette. I didn't miss Chris Harrison at all. The energy was, it's so, it has gotten so stale and predictable. The same things that he says. Right. Also, uh, as the host and executive producer, he has a vested interest in drama. So when he says all these things, it was really just like same old, same old. And I think a lot of people, you know, skip through that first episode because they're like, ah, who are these 30 people? And they're, That's you know. how I felt last night watching it. I was trying to engage, but I just couldn't force yeah. myself to. But, you know, when he he when he decided to cape incredibly hard, uh, you know, for the case for racism, when he was being interviewed by extras um, 
uh, Rachel, is it Lindsay? Lindsay, I think. Yeah, um, from Extra. And then that Rachel Kirkconnell and the Matt James, the Bachelor, you know, and she was the racist Rachel, that they get back together after all of this. I know they did. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't know if he's going to sign a book or anything, but he must be plenty rich if he got paid eight figures to go away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I didn't miss the show. I didn't think we missed him at all in, in last night's episode. I really liked Katie. I really liked Tasha and um, Caitlin. Caitlin. They were really fun. And I, Did you watch it all, Lori? I mean, I there did. were so many people. They've upped it. 30 people got out of stuff. Yeah. When, when I, so I was kind of um, halfway watching it, halfway on a phone conversation, halfway doing a lot of other things. But but my only thing is I was watching the different. I like to watch the guys get out or the women get out of the car. I kind of like that part of it. But when the guy got out in the cat suit, oh, that was hysterical because Katie loves cats. Okay, she's a cat lover. Okay, we don't know much about her. We know she's a sex positive. You know, because she brought the vibrator right to the last season. She was a contestant on the season before. Yeah, she told Jimmy Kimmel last night that, um, and she got home, sent home pretty early, so we really didn't know that much about her, but she told Kimmel she's been sent, you know, hundreds of vibrators. Oh, I'm sure. uh, Because of that, but I really felt like that uh, the show had gotten repetitive and boring, and I felt like it was just, it was fresh without Chris there. We're not going to miss him at all. Okay. Not, I'll believe you. I, I, I didn't, I can't, I can't form a judgment after my limited viewing last night. Yeah. But I mean, there is a certain blandness, reliability ritual. He says the same thing. Like I couldn't imagine Katie uh, talking to him about, uh, you know, some of the stuff that she said to Tasha and Caitlin about, you know, I'm having sex in that fantasy suite. They had an understanding. They both have been the Bachelorette. Right. And I don't know. It just was really, it was just really, really fun. I just don't think that if Chris had been there, I don't know that we'd see the, uh, Katie in that light. Sure. In this authentic way. Right. Because he's, he's always so stale in his choice of words and his seriousness and the most dramatic. And I, I think it's the best thing ABC could have done. But apparently, according to Roger Friedman, it was very tense negotiations. ABC knew they weren't going to bring him back. Okay. And he hired a big, huge attorney um, to, because um, I don't know what he had left on his contract. Okay. Well, and, and he was executive producer yeah, on the show, yeah. so he had some financial back-end stuff in commitments. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest-growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, 
Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. There, so yeah, yeah. but the the yeah, they were they were never I don't think we're ever gonna bring him back. They weren't okay. I, I don't think so. I well, that's why he lawyered up he lawyered up like three months ago. I would have. Yeah. Anyone would have. Right. But, you know, when they said it's just, and he had his, you know, he did some interviews. I'm just hoping this is a temporary right. timeout. But I think last week when we got the news that David Spade, who's a good friend of Mike Fleiss, who created The Bachelor, mm-hmm. uh, was stepping in for Bachelor in Paradise. I thought that, you know, that's going to be donezo for, uh, for, for Chris. So you think this, okay, so the one thing that I thought... Of when I was watching um, Tasha and Caitlin give Katie some advice was like, you know, she said, well, what advice would you give me? You know, I, I, you guys have both done this. And they're like, don't rule anyone out. You know, I never even liked who I ended up with at the very beginning. And um, I can't remember what else they said, but I saw them like, um, I don't know why I wasn't feeling it for last night. I just, I, all the people. Because you weren't really watching yeah. it. That's why. God, two hours of it just felt heavy. But so, and did you like all the, a lot of people went in for kisses right away. I mean, oh, big kissing happened last night on the show. Very, very, it was, <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I just thought it was, she, I really liked Katie. Yeah. And I, she's upbeat. She's, she's just kind of laid back and quirky and, you know, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. I, it was very different for a first night. Okay. And maybe that was it. You're maybe, I don't know. Maybe you always kind of skip through a lot of people do skip yeah, kind of that first night because there's so many people. Right. It's just like, Ugh. I just like watching them get out of the car. That's about all yeah. I can handle. Yeah. So anyway, I think the show is uh, actually going, is making legitimate efforts to be more inclusive and mm-hmm. Chris just wasn't going to fit in there. So no final rose for him, but eight figures. Do you like any of the guys? I actually liked Connor the cat. You did. I did when he took off his cat head. I liked him. Um, Rocco, I don't think, I don't know if we have enough time to play the Kimmel thing, but when Kimmel had Katie on last night, they played all the times that Oh My God or OMG was said. Right. That's yeah. so. We could play a little bit. If okay. 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 Yeah, let's hear it. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my gosh. 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 Are you ready for this? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He said it a lot. We're at 19. Yeah. 20. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Oh my god. So enjoy the. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. There you go. It was a lie. It was a lie. Did Jimmy Kimmel's wife oh, pick the winners? Yes, it was the final four. four. And uh, she's going with uh, her ultimate pick is the guy who got the first impression rose. Okay. Which is a safe Vegas bet. Yeah? Because like 80% of the time, the first impression rose is the person. Is the it person. that high? It's really high. Oh, joy. wow. Okay. I might have just pulled that one out I, yeah, of thin air. <laughs> you know, but surprised. I like to give some flavor to my story. But In no, case you're wondering, the counter went up to 48. On 48. The I know. It was just something. So anyway, right. listen, we are really excited. We are talking to best-selling author Kristen Harmel when we come back about her amazing book, The Book of Lost Things. We are good because it is time for another edition of the Lori and Julia Book Club. And we are 
So delighted to have uh, best-selling author Kristen Harmel with us. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Hi, how are you? Fantastic. We are so good. So um, we know this book came out last fall, but you've got the trade paperback of the Book of Lost Names. And it's just come out. It's just come out. And this is such an incredible, incredible book. Julie and I were just, I don't know that I've cried that hard and that good of a way for a book for a long time. Oh my gosh! Thank you. And you know what? When people say that, I always feel like I should apologize. No. Like what, oh, no. what other situation? But but like really, like what other situation in life can somebody say to you? Like you made me cry, and you're like, yeah, yes. I did my job. It <laughs> is. We're. It's one of our favorite books this year, and we read books. Um, yeah. But it was, it's so unique and so Thank different. You so much. And we can't believe we haven't read other books by you. My gosh. We are. We're changing that, Kristen. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, because okay, Julie and I, we really do love historical fiction. I mean, uh, we had we've had uh, you know Kate Quinn on, and many um, of your oh, friends that I you do your her. podcast yes. with on. Um, we we love these types of books. So, if you could give people the oh. setup of the book of lost names, because we really want to encourage to read this this page turner of a book. Oh my gosh. Well, you are being so nice. Thank you so much for all the kind words. Um, so, and I have also heard such great things about the two of you from some of those other authors you mentioned. So oh, I've been yay. so excited about coming on because everyone <laughs> speaks so highly of you. Oh, that's so nice. So, <laughs> so the book of last names is the story of a female forger in World War II who kind of stumbles into the French resistance mostly by accident and then winds up helping save the lives of hundreds of children. So she and her mom are fleeing the Nazis themselves, and they wind up in this small French mountain town in, yeah, in the unoccupied zone of France, where a priest working for a local resistance network finds out about her false papers that she's forged for herself and her mother, and then he approaches her and offers her help in getting her father out of the detention center outside of Paris where he's being held in return for him, her, sorry, helping him with um, some forged documents. So that's kind of how she gets into these forgeries, Um, and she thinks she's just going to stay for a little while. But she winds up really finding fulfillment in this work, Um, not least of all because she's working with another talented forger named Remy, who there's kind of a little bit of a love connection with, Um, but also because she and Remy are primarily helping children, Um, children who need to escape, uh, mostly Jewish children um, Mm -hmm. whose parents have been taken away. So they begin encoding those identities in a 17 1932 religious text, which they begin referring to as the Book of Lost Names, hence the title of the novel. And they're recording these identities for these children because they're really worried that they're going to lose track of who they are, especially those who are too young to remember. Um, But toward the end of the war, the book goes missing, possibly looted by the Nazis. And 60 years later, we pick up with Ava when she's a librarian working in Florida. And she happens to glimpse the book in an article in the New York Times about not Nazi looted books and the search to retur- return them to their rightful owners. So as the story is unfolding in the past, we also see Ava in the present trying to summon the courage to travel to Berlin to finally, hopefully, maybe, uncover the last secret held within the pages of the Book of oh, Lost Names. So that's kind of the elevator pitch. You're <laughs> so good, so Kristen. Lori read it. I listened to it and read it. So your narrator was wonderful. 
she's amazing. Madeline Maybe is her name. Yeah, she's she, incredible. She did a great job. So I like to do the two of them. You know, you've written, I don't know how many other books. And I know you have The Forest of Vanishing Stars coming out, a new one coming out early July. But of your books, yep. I mean, you had to do a lot of research on this. Is, yeah. Was this one more fulfilling than others? Or do they just all have a special time that they're your okay. favorite? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think they're all fulfilling to me in different ways. Um, and, and they all involve a lot of research in different ways also. So for this one, I had to really, um, in addition to just kind of setting the world and setting the scene and understanding how people made their way into these forgery operations, I also had to really get my head around how physically the forgeries were actually done. Because there was so much to know about, um, you know, the, the different papers and how you'd etch a stamp and like some of these rudimentary things that people figured out how to do with no specialized equipment and no specialized training. It was really fascinating. But one of the things I got my hands on for this book, which was really an interesting part of the research, um, was a real life Nazi issued travel document from December 1940 uh, in Paris. So it was um, one of the things that forgers would have uh, absolutely had to forge because you couldn't move around France without a document like this. So having a document like that physically in my hands kind of helped connect some of the dots in my head. Um, but as far as just, you know, how fulfilling the books are in different ways, I, I think if I had to choose a favorite, it might be my um, 2012 novel, which was called The Sweetness of Forgetting. It was my first World War II novel. And um it, there's more personal stuff in it. Like it's a story about a woman and her grandmother and the grandmother has dementia. And I was writing it as I was losing my own mm-hmm. grandmother who, who had Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, and this is probably pretty common for authors. Um, my most recent book is always really sort of my favorite because I think at least up until this point in my career, I feel like I keep growing as a writer with each book, like discovering new things about, you know, characterization and storytelling. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm proud of this book. And I'm, I think even a little bit prouder of the next book because I keep trying to um, spread my wings a little bit further. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you say in your author's note for the book of lost names that while you're researching your previous book, the winemaker's wife, which was set in the Champagne region of France in world war two, that you came across a few mentions of the important role that forgers played in the resistance. Um, w- were you thinking like, okay, this could be a story? Because one of the things that is so great about you know you and other writers who do these uh, historical fictional novels is that you bring to life the stories of people that were you know it was happening. Women were resistance fighters; they were doing forgery, but we wouldn't know it if you guys didn't write these. Do the research and write these books and bring these people to life. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. And to me, that's one of the things that's so important about continuing to do this kind of work is um, there are so many untold stories and so many stories that, um, that are so relevant today. I mean, it's surprising how relevant these World War II tales Mm -hmm. are considering that they happened, you know, 80 years ago or Mm -hmm. or almost 80 years ago. Um, But I I think that there are still so many lessons. And one of them is that women were underestimated then, but women were doing all of this important work that 
honestly helped win the war. I mean, it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you you asked about um, coming across mentions of forgers in um, in my last book, The Winemaker's Wife. Yes, that that was how that was how I came up with the idea for this. Uh, Noah, yes, yes, yeah, I totally apologize. My little five-year-old was in here asking if he can have a Hershey's kiss. I'm like, heaven forbid, I just said ten minutes, like right. to myself. I apologize. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so it, it was while researching that book and the previous book that I came across mentions of um, uh, of forgers and began to kind of think, well, who who were these people? What were the risks? Like, wh- how did you get into that? Um, how did you learn to forge? And it was those answers that kind of led me um, to this book. And, and I always say when I'm talking about The Winemaker's Wife, which, as you said, was set in Champagne, mm-hmm. I clearly made a huge mistake going forward with my career because writing about Champagne was glorious because <laughs> I just had to drink a lot of Champagne and travel to Champagne. So, like, why my next books were not about chocolate and pasta, I do not know. Yeah. There's oh. no real explanation. And also, you know, I really appreciate, I, I, I don't know why in, um, but I, I would just say in the last year, I, we both have enjoyed movies and books that have had France or Paris yeah. as a centerpiece, maybe because we haven't been able to travel, travel. and all of that, but you paint yeah. such a, a vivid picture of, of Paris. So I, I appreciated that, even though I was trying to, think in my mind like what that must have been like and then you would paint the picture of how grim it got because we think of Paris as being the city of light and beauty and really they that was terrible everything that happened uh, in France in World War II you know really It, it it really is and you know it's interesting you bring that up because when I was in my early 20s, um, I lived in Paris, and it was before I was writing about World War II. It was before I had written my first book. I actually attempted writing my first novel while I was living there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of what led me down this path, in addition to just a general passion for France after having lived there, was the idea that when I was living there, I didn't realize. I mean, I had a vague idea that, yeah. you know, World War II had partially taken place there. Um, but I, I never realized the enormity of it and the darkness of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it's become a real mission to me to kind of share that story. Paris is a beautiful place. Paris is an amazing place. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of darkness in in, um, in their recent history, too. So I think it's important to highlight that. Yeah, oh, well, you are... You- oh. In just reading more about, we loved this, this book, book the, so much. the book of lost names. Has anyone optioned <laughs> yeah. it? You know, yeah, um, yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I'm working with a producer right now um, who has optioned it, and um, yeah, we're just kind of trying to get it set up. the The whole Hollywood thing is such a long, um, a long process mm-hmm. that. Uh, You know, my first book was optioned so many years ago. My first book came out in 2006, and it had all the things lined up. We had an actress attached. We had um, a a studio attached. We had screenwriters attached. Like, and I just had no concept that like all of those things could be lined up, and it could still not happen. (laughs) So that was like my big lesson then. But um, so yeah, I'm I'm um, hopefully uh, cautiously optimistic about this one because the. The producer who has it is really phenomenal, and I love her vision for the story. Yeah, well, I, we agree with uh, Fiona Davis, who blurbed <laughs> your book, and we loved her. We loved the Lions of Fifth Avenue, but she said 
Not since Kristen Hannah's The Nightingale have I finished a book and been so choked with emotion. And we agree 100% with that. I just, yeah, really, really, really love Ava. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That really means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Kristen, why don't you, um, okay, because I know who your buddies are, who you do your podcast (laughs) Friends in Fiction with Mary Kay Andrews, um, Patty Callahan. I named the other woman, I think. There's four of you, right? Yeah, uh, there's five of us. Oh, so five. it's Mary Kay Andrews, Patty. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. The Callahan Henry, Christy Woodson Harvey, Mary Alice Monroe, and myself. And, um... And it's so much fun. And yeah, like I mentioned, they, I think it was Patty who said how much um, she had enjoyed talking with you. But um, it, I think it was Patty. It might have been Mary Kay. But they, every, and everything I've heard about you has been so wonderful. Oh, well, <laughs> so we're we're going to hopefully have you on for your new book that's coming out like in two weeks, The Forest of Vanishing Stars. But we have to get, get you on our list. It looks so yummy. It's This is a big treat for us. Kristen Harmel, international best-selling author who at the age of 16 was a sports writer covering MLB baseball. I mean, I, I want to learn oh, wow. more about you, and I want to talk about your work at People Magazine and all these other jobs, and it's just... We're going to keep your number. It's it's really... Okay. It's nice to meet you finally, and I we cannot tell people enough. The cover, too. The cover art is... We believe cover art sells books. That's how shallow <laughs> yeah. we are. The cover is amazing. It is. It's... It it is. I'm so grateful for it. It is a beautiful cover, and um, yeah, Gallery Books really does me right with these beautiful covers. Jeez, it's great, and you're so delightful. How nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being oh, on our show. Thank you. And we can't oh, wait. Oh my to- gosh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I want to. We Lori said today in the you know before the show, she's like, I want to read all of her books. I do. I mean. <laughs> You you really are such a delicious writer. The book is the book of last names. It's in trade pa- paperback. Yes. Go get it at your local bookstore, people. Kristen, thank yes. you so much for your time, and we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to meet the two of you. Absolutely. Lori's going to sing it. Never had a friend. I shout out to Carol and Stephanie, our winners of the book of last names. Your books are going to go in the mail tonight. Lori's going to sing a little. Sugar She's going to sing a little. Oh, I love Nancy uh-huh. Sinatra, and she is 81 years uh, Earth ages. She? She's had on under her belt, and she's very funny follow on Twitter. And I always think of, I believe Casey told me that your brother. I, my brother John loved her. And this this song this like, song must have been there was a video there was a video and she's like on a beach in Malibu like in I don't know she she just was a very epitome of a sixties with that flip in her hair oh yeah and the frosted lip and you know anyway I just oh love Sugar Town that Kristen was Han- oh Kristen Carmel 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 oh, oh she's amazing. And her publicist sent us a note because she was streaming mm-hmm. and said, thank you for such a lovely interview. I mean, and she's she, a, 
international best-selling author. How is it that we, I feel like I read the book, The Room on Rue Amelie. And How that is it that we missed her? There's yeah, so I know. so many good books. Well, yeah, and we've been having authors on for I don't know how many years it is. But, but she has, she wrote, she wrote, she's been writing professionally since the age of 16 when she became a career, had a, started her career at 16 as a sports writer covering Major League Baseball and NHL hockey for a magazine in Tampa Bay. After stints in health and lifestyle for Men's Health Women's oh. Day, she became a reporter for People magazine while still in college. And spent more than a decade working for People Magazine, yeah. covering everything from the Super Bowl, high-profile murders, mm-hmm, to celebrity interviews. And then she also worked with Rachel Ray, Glamour, blah, blah, blah. She has shows. She's so young. She, I know. And she lives in Orlando. She lived in Paris. She lived in L.A. And the podcast, Friends in Fiction, is the five authors. And yeah. we've interviewed in the last month probably three. three of the five. Yeah. Three of the five. Mm-hmm. So I just... It's when you get into a sweet spot with someone that you love reading. I mean, this I, book moved us. Honestly, I laid in bed and I know sobbed. you did. I know you did. Rocco, I, felt, I sobbed. I know. I sobbed. Oh, and I sobbed love books like that. For you know the bravery of people, the, the the dignity of people, the human, and then also at the same time, of course, the most inhumane things are happening and during World War Two. During World War mm-hmm. Two, they're having. You know, they're having all these just horrific things are happening. And I don't I don't know why, but I, I always think it is we need to pay attention to those stories because those things can happen again, may happen again, have already happened again. And, and just like being vigilant about just remembering the things that people do, that more people are good than bad. Yes, that's and, the and that you can do more than you think you can. Yeah, and I mean, so her, fi- even though it's fictional, it's historical right. fiction. Mm-hmm. There were people, and it makes it made me think of because you know on Sunday was the seventy seventh anniversary of D Day. Mm-hmm. At Rocco, did you say you went to Normandy? We did. Yeah, my wife has some uh, relatives that were in the in um, the D Day airdrop. He, right. Oh, right. My my father in law, my first father in law, was a paratrooper on D Day right. and landed in the town of Saint Saint Marie Mary Iglesias. Oh and yeah, we were there. They had the same, church we with were the. Too. And they have the parachute uh, guy in the uh, stained glass. It's beautiful. And they have the guy hanging off. The- hanging off because, okay, here's the thing that happened okay. on D-Day. That, that, and, and one of the, there was an article um, from the Associated Press. Uh, Henry Jean Renault, 86, remembers D-Day like it was yesterday. He was a young boy and hidden in his family home in San Mer Iglesias when more than 800 planes bringing U.S. paratroopers flew over the town while German soldiers fired at them. With machine guns, and they mm-hmm. would have, I think it's about 18 paratroopers per plane. Okay, so, wow. um, and describing incredible noise, he remembers uh, seeing a dead U.S. paratrooper stuck in a big tree that's still standing by the town's church. I came here hundreds of times. I always look at the tree, and I always think of that young guy, and I was thinking, he was told, you're going to jump in the middle of the night in a country you don't know. He died, and his feet never touched French soil, and that is very moving to me. And that is what the paratroopers did. We see the, we see from Saving Private Ryman the story in the beaches. But I always knew the story because of my first father-in-law. Right. He was a paratrooper, and he told us like fifteen, like maybe three out of every group of eighteen would make it to the ground, and Just they were three. there to set up 
communications, emergency be, uh, like lines behind enemy lines because yes. then they would be forward. And uh, yeah, I remember Raleigh, he landed in a farm field and the French family sheltered him. And, you know, they were in that. I mean, the cem- the American cemetery there is incredible to go and see, but all the villages fly French and American flags. They do. It very much feels like, because the beach looks the same, right. it, the, the memory of what happened in France is very much, you feel it all up and down that Normandy coast. I mean, Rocco, wouldn't you agree? Yep, and a lot of those people are obviously uh, uh, passing away. There's very few of those veterans left that were part of the... That's um, right. Charles Shea, who's uh, he's Native American. He was a 19-year-old Army medic. He landed on Omaha Beach that day, so through you know on the water, mm-hmm. and lost, of course, many people. He now lives in Normandy, and he was the only. Um, he's 96. He was the only veteran to attend the ceremony um this past weekend yeah because last year was canceled for covid and kind of the same thing so uh and yeah he's the only one it's the normandy american cemetery of colleville sur mer it's 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 incredible it's very much if you go to paris do a day